Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream. On the first live stream uh, that, we're gonna, that we have going here in the month of Rabi'a al-Awwal. And what I want to do is begin firstly with a shout out. Our man. Cooking in the Olive Garden, Tom Fettuccini. Fettuccini, I should say. I always say Fettuccini by accident. It's kind of sort of by accident, but that's how I remember. Um, he's cooking. Many people uh, from the old days would remember the first sort of foray that I ever experienced online was an accident, really. And I only had like a few people that I talked to online on Facebook back in those days. And when some Sunni ulama and imams backed and supported the study Qur'an, which is really the perennialist um, study Qur'an, uh, because that's the overall slant. Although they try to make themselves a universal umbrella, they try to make it like that. But in fact, the one uh, doctrine that was peppered all over the place and all the footnotes and everything without uh, any mention that this is a school of thought was the perennialist's set of ideas, okay? So having went after that, caught a lot of slack, okay? And it was my first time getting hate mail and hate messages and stuff like that. Oh, negative and blah, blah, blah. Well, what is a perennialist first? Well, the perennialists are people who hold that there is a truth, and that truth is found in the different religions, mainly Christianity, Hinduism. They, they pretty much ignore Judaism because the Jews don't want any of this. And Islam. They pretty much are promoting that. Sometimes they dabble in Native American religion. I don't even know if you call that religion. Hinduism also. It's not religion. It's like a plethora of different ideas that the British ended up naming Hinduism. Uh, the, just basically the ideas of the Hindu land. So... The Pranalists do believe that there is a truth, okay? And that it's in these religions, same universal truth. And when it comes to the actual contradictions within the religions, these religions, they, they get fuzzy and they basically say that there's a mystical reality above it all. So basically to ignore your intellect when it comes to recognizing the linguistic... Or, or, or the doctrinal differences. And to say that, you know, to, in order to bring these ideas down to the level of their culture or their people or the intellects of that time, they needed to use this language. So what one thing that you're faced with is the necessity, really, of suspending your intellect in favor of a mystical experience that somebody must have had that is telling us that to just ignore all these clear differences. Like Jesus, is it is the Trinity true? Or is the Islamic version true? Okay. Um, reincarnation. Is that true? Or is the Day of Judgment true? Like when I die, what's going to happen? Am I going to be judged as myself? Or is my soul and mind going to be put into another body? And if so, what source is informing us of that? Uh, and number two, like... Do I remember, like, um, 
If I have, it's the same soul in the same body. So is your memory wiped away? Otherwise you'd remember who you were and everyone would be claiming, Hey, I was Elvis. Hey, I was Napoleon. Hey, I was Genghis Khan. And if that's not the case, if the case is that your memory is wiped away and you start over fresh, then who would have ever known that you're reincarnated, right? If your memory is wiped fresh, then who's telling you that you're reincarnated? So they dabble with these things and their approach to it is essentially an, an anti-rationalist approach, a, a mystical approach that is basically, it's not super rational. It's anti-rational. It's basically telling you, uh, don't go the route of the common man's intellect, okay, and uh, and the and the literalist jurist intellect. Leave that and recognize that there's a mystical reality above these words and above these doctrines. Okay, that is essentially the premise of of, of perennialism. And the funny thing about it, the reason is that I th- are are these guys extinct? Like almost. Have you ever heard of perennialism outside of this? I mean, right now I'm just taking a class in Rutgers. Like, yeah. Just because, you know, you have to fulfill the requirements. Yeah. It's not like a religion class and they're going over it. But it's weird, like, a lot of people, like, because you know how there's discussion posts? A lot of the people, I think they're leaning towards that, like, the perennialist. Most people, they lean towards a type of perennialism that's a layman's perennialism, which is not necessarily just a perennialism. It's more like between perennialism and relativism. So relativism is like, there's not one set of truths, but everyone's got a little bit of truth. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's one view. And there's, there's a think tank. Zaytuna College is into, is, 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 gets a lot of funding from them. I'm not trying to bash Zaytuna College. I'm just saying they get a lot of funding from them. The founder of that think tank holds the philosophy that no religion got it, got it right. But every religion got it a little bit right. So hold on a second. Wouldn't you need to know what's right in order to judge these religions, right? Like these things, their, their logic is always circular. There, there's a fund, a foundation. It's some rich guy who was, seems like a nice guy, right? He's some rich guy and he was into finding out what the truth is. But like many businessmen, they make bold claims that are beyond their scope, Right. Like, you shouldn't be making these claims. But he made the claim, because when you're really rich, you're surrounded by people who just say, yeah, that's a great idea, right? Otherwise, their paycheck is going to be in doubt. So he, he ends up basically saying that all religions have some truth in it, but none of them got it fully right. So you would need to know what's right. So you got it right. <laughs> exactly. So you're, you're claiming that you got it right. You would need to know what is right in order to make that judgment. Just like... Um, who is it that says that? Who was it that says that? Um, oh, like the followers of Ibn Arabi. And I don't need to get in trouble with them, but, you know, I love them and everything. But they say that they divide up the uqala, the, the, the uqul, the intellects, into the, the common man, the mid-range intellect, which is the majority of, like, scholars and fuqaha and imams, and then the high-level intellect, which is the mystics and stuff. Okay, if that's the case, then you are making a judgment. Can you show us what the scale is, right? What's the scale? Because if, they're, if you're making a judgment, these guys got it. These guys are okay, and these guys don't got it. What is the scale? So we can study the scale. Just like saying IQs. Well, you can give me the exam. I can study for it. I can improve. Same Ibn Taymiyyah on the opposite side says logic doesn't benefit people who are intelligent, 
they don't need it. And if they're uh, dull, they don't benefit from it. It just confuses them. Hold on a second. So you're telling me that there's really smart people and there are dull people. Based on what scale did you make that judgment? Yeah. Right? <laughs> based upon what scoreboard? Based upon what measuring stick? Show us the measuring stick. Is that not a rational statement that you just made? Then it needs a measuring stick. So I think like on, on both sides, all right, Ibn Taymiyyah used to put away uh, Mantiq. He, he downgraded Mantiq. The Ibn Arabi, uh, the Akbarians, as I understand it also, they have some downgrades on Mantiq. And then end up, you get end up with perennialism also is close to the Akbarian view, but of course not, not even close to that because Akbarians are all Muslims, right? The perennialist view is not an Islamic view. Someone who has that is a murtad, apostate, a zindiq, whatever you want to call it. Not, a, not an apostate because he's still saying he's a Muslim, but he's a zindiq. Mm. They end up saying that all the, the faiths, it is really not necessary to make a decision on which faith, but you need to be orthodox within each one. You need to be the orthodox of each religion, in any of the religions, and you'll arrive at a great spiritual reality. So uh, Tom Ficini puts this together on Yaqeen. Read it for yourselves. And here's the thing, I, I love it and everything, but you know what I love even more? Perennialists are extinct. If you're just out there in the realm of Dawah, just walking around, you don't see them, right? They're, they have no madhar. They're, they're, who's their, who are their leaders? Who are their books? It's all the old generation. There was a generation in the 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s, maybe into the 90s, that loved this mystical stuff that brought all the religions together. It seems like it had like two people with divorced parents of different religions just looking for something that brings it all together. And the study of Quran came out 2015. It got lambasted. The sales tanked. Okay, Everything was, it really was like a terrible launch for them. Because they tried to sneak it in. You know, if they had said, oh, by the way, this is the perennialist view, I'd be like, okay, well, they said it, right? They, they made a clear distinction for the Sunni reader. But nobody said anything, nor the, the Sunni imams who promoted it. And then um, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, this is a great book. Just keep in mind there's a perennialist idea in here. That could be acceptable, okay? It probably, you know, wouldn't be to many people because you're still uh, promoting something that is... Uh, antithetical to the to our doctrine, our, our, our aqidah that Allah brought down in the Quran, but nonetheless, at least you could say they pointed it out. Same with Zamakhshari. The man Zamakhshari is uh, uh, right. Mu'tazili. Huh? Mu'tazili. Mu'tazili. Right. But it's pointed out. It's like well known. Nobody. It's like anyone who reads that book knows that. So they 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 make it clear. Same thing with Ibn Kathir. If you're going to read Ibn Kathir, he has on the Mutashabi had some issues. Right from from our perspective, and so point being is that uh, a couple years after that they had a big fitna within their group, their clique, right, and and they are a clique of intellectuals, very high level intellectuals in different colleges and universities. Okay, so um, on uh, uh, as a result of that, they really just like deflated. They deflated. And now, past few years, this is the most attention they're going to get is from Yaqeen. They got more attention from this article. I'm not blaming Yaqeen for doing this or Ficini for doing it. You need to have a refutation. But I think they got more attention 
from refutations of their illogical ideas and irrational ideas than anyone. The only one giving them positive attention consistently is Daytona College. I say it as a critique, right? This is their, they, they give it positive attention. They never say, okay, here it is, but be careful to uh, be careful of these ideas. They're not Islamic ideas. Like that little thingy, Sheikh Hamza himself does it. He says it. He says, people say I'm a perennialist. I'm not a perennialist. I mean, he never necessarily explicitly said it's kufr, but for what it's worth, he says that he's not a perennialist. So he distances himself from that. But he's also not a Hanafi. He's not a Hanbari. He's not a Shafi'i, right? He's not a Zaidi. Well, not being something is not a ruling. I don't, I, I, do I care what somebody is? I need to know the ruling, right? These ideas are Kufri ideas. In any event, it should come to the need to say it. Everyone else is saying it. Okay? This, it is a Kufri idea. It is a European ideology uh, that poses itself as the judge of all religions. The nerve, right? <laughs> the judge of all religions. And he goes deep into the 1600s and um, he goes deep into their the origins of these ideas. It's a long... Is 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 he now uh, officially part of Yaqeen or just a contributor? Because he's doing the podcast, he's doing these other things. So good for him. I like um, his ideas, yeah. um, you know, his work in general. And he's got a lot of really good um, quotes here from them. And the other guy who's their arch enemy, oh, what's his name? They all pretend they don't know who he is. And I forgot his name because I read his book a long time ago. He's a former perennialist who had a personal burnout with Martin Lings mm. and then wrote, like, the tell-all about the perennialist, like... It's like it, it is a little bit of a cult. There's, like, a clear... And they never want to come out and say, hey, we're perennialists, this is our belief. Because it's illogical. It's an illogical belief. Now, if you're... Per oh, Sedgwick, that's his name. Sedgwick. Mark... I think it's Mark Sedgwick. Sedgwick. Yeah, Sedgwick. Listen up. It's Rabi al-Awwal. If you're a perennialist... If you're a perennialist sympathizer, do not dare show up to a maulid and say, oh, I'm a Sufi. No. Don't. You are the biggest insult to the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because you try to put icing on it. See the, see the, 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 the right-wing guys? They put the poison right there. It's, it's poison. They want you dead. They want you eliminated. The hardcore evangelical Christians, even some of the Catholics. Catholics aren't all, like, friendly, Right? I've been on some Catholic um, websites and go down to the comment section. You know, they say things about Muslims. They don't believe it's true. They just believe it's a falsehood that needs to be eliminated from the earth. That's their belief. Okay? So Catholics aren't always all our friends either. But then, at least those, they, it's clear. They're against you. Period. Discussion over. The liberals, it doesn't take, you know, too much to realize that they only like you as a minority identity. That's it. As soon as you're the majority, and as soon as you're insisting that this is the truth, and as soon as you forbid wrong that they love, they're your enemies, right? It took maybe a decade or two for, for everyone to get around to it, but now majority Muslims know that the liberals are their enemies. Okay? The progressives in these. But these guys will come in and can fool people for a long, for, for years, for years, you'll never know if you don't read carefully. 
beautiful flowery covers critique of modernity right uh, all wonderful critiques that's the best part of them the critique of modernity but uh, flowery sufi covers right the sufi path of love and this that and the other right ibn arabi said this they only quote like three islamic scholars and they don't quote, they hardly quote the quran they never quote a hadith right they rarely quote the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's one of the signs of ahl sunnah and not ahl sunnah okay so you could be fooled and at the end of the day you do not require iman and the prophet for salvation yes or no the answer to them is no we do not require it for salvation so don't dare show up at any mawadid don't put you know anything of this stuff posting this stuff and talking about this as if oh we love the prophet no you cannot say i love the prophet but i don't believe you don't have to believe him so then what is he then did you lie oh it's just relative relative who's deciding what's relative if you're deciding what's relative you got to go up right you got to rise up above and you be a authority above them okay so this stuff is just um it's nice to see though that the truth prevails and these silly ideas honestly it's an idea that caught on some people emotionally they promoted it for years okay decades got in very high positions but notice they can never come out in the light in the open and say we are perennialists this is our belief they may touch upon it here and there sneak it in oh the perennial uh, you know they never will never say oh here is the perennialist aqidah here's our aqidah let's debate it let's discuss it okay all right so good job there by Yaqeen for putting that out there. You can get it. Just go to. You want to link it? Maybe. Um, are all religions the same? Islam and the false promise of perennialism. And this was published a couple of days ago. All right. Well done. Honestly, there's a there are only a few things that I would say. This is one of the few things I would say that the tolerance level for it is very low. Yeah. It's a very low tolerance level for this nonsense. And and the fact that you try to sneak into the Islamic community, never come out in the open, and then you somehow got the sympathy of Dr. Omar, who somehow got the sympathy of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, and they, you know, helped you along and opened the door for you. And you now they're coming into different regular normal or as they say normative sunni uh operations and conferences and teaching as if this is like just a regular acceptable scholarship when it's far from that i have to say that far from that but hey you know one thing good about zaytuna it's a college it's up for everything's up for critique right as long as you bring knowledge and you bring a fair critique good and so that's they they they're accepting of that which is why I say it, knowing that they're not going to take it personally. Because when you become a college, you open up for fair critique. That's exactly what we gave. All right, here we go. They should maybe invite Ficini to give the paper at Zaytuna. Mm-hmm. Right. Let, listen, you're a liberal arts college. Bring both ideas. You got the study of Quran on the shelf. You got Ficini with the critique. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Right? Hamza Azizi says Dr. Omar has zero tolerance for this 
nonsense for the record. Yes, but he needed to come more publicly about it because in the immediate aftermath, he was defending them. That's the truth, right? He was defending them and he was saying that my critique of them was filled with bigotry. Bigotry? This is not a racial thing. What are you talking about? I was very surprised to hear it, to be honest with you. But he, he, like you said, though, his followers did say behind closed doors he's against this stuff. All right. Um, let me just take this question about Medhubs real quick. When you look at the Medhubs, don't look at the um, rulings of the Medhubs. Take your time. Take a long time. Study the biographies and the methodologies of the four imams. If you want to be a regular Muslim, you don't need to do this. But if you want to be learned and know what's going on in terms of like hajj, what's happening here? Zakah, how do I give my zakah? Traveler's prayer, how do I do it? Fasting, when do I have to make up a fast? When is it valid? When is it not valid? You need all that knowledge, right? You don't want to be ignorant. You're going to need to study a madhab. When you go to law school, do you sign up for two different law schools or one law school? Sign up for one law school. So you're, take your time, study the, the imams, their biographies, their methodologies, and you have to truly ask yourself, what is the truth here? Uh, what is most worthy of following? Don't say what's the truth, because none of them are speaking about something that's clear-cut in the Quran and the Hadith. They're only speaking about that which is not that is that was intentionally not clear cut in the Quran and Hadith for a reason. So you're saying which is most worthy of following? That's the question you put in your mind. Which of these four schools of thought is most worthy of following? Which Imam of these four is most worthy of following? And that's how that whatever settles in your heart after a year of studying and reading, that's what you're gonna you you, you now you live your life by that. And only when there's a hardship, then you could dip into another school of thought, no problem. Let's go now to uh, sunnah.com slash shama'il slash one. Sunnah, actually, you know what? Just go to mbic.org. Go to mbic.org. Go all the way down. Click shama'il. Why don't you just link the shama'il? We're going to be reading from this. Until we get our guests. So, Omar, uh, what do we have? Like five more minutes for our guests? Ten minutes? Okay, whenever he comes on. So go to mbic.org. Go all the way down. Keep going down. Down, 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 down. Keep going. Yeah, there you go. Shema'il. Link that up for him. Yeah, I just linked it. Yeah. Sunnah.org. NBIC.org. Go all the way down. Hit Shema'il right there. All right, this is what we're reading. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. An Anas ibn Malik in Anahu Samiahu Yakul Kanara Sulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Laysabit Tawil al Baini, Walabil Kasiri, Walabil Abiyadil Ahem Haki, Walabil Adami, Walabil Jadil Katati, Walabil Septi, Baathahullah Ta'ala Allah Rasi Arbaina Sanatan, Arbaina Sanatan. Arab is wrong here. Faakama be Makata Ashara Sinina, Wabil Medina Tia Ashara Sinina, Watawafahullahu Taala, Allah Rasi Sitina Sana, Wale Safi Rasi, Walahiati, Ishruna Shara Tanbeda. What is Shamael? Shamael is the description of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay. It's the description of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And if we're going to follow the messenger, we're going to love the prophet, peace be upon him. And we want Allah to reward us with the love of the prophet. Then we must expose ourselves 
consistently to the mention of the Prophet. You can mention the Prophet in many by reading hadith, by making salawat, by reading books like Shifa Qadi Iyad, by reading Sirah. So um Shifa of Qadi Iyad gathers all of this. It gathers like Shama'il, it gathers Sirah, it gathers the usuli part of following the Sunnah. It gathers refutations of um, you know, enemies of the Prophet everything like that. So that's what we'll be reading here because this month of Rabi'al Awwal is a month in which the Prophet was born, and as a result of that, the ulama have sort of rendered it a season to revive that. What is the description of the Prophet? He was neither very tall nor short. His skin was neither pale nor dark. His hair was neither curly nor straight. Allah sent him at the end of 40 years of life. He stayed in Mecca for 10 and in Medina for 10. Okay? This is one of the opinions, but the way to understand it is that three years were private da'wah, 10 years public in Medina. So that's why he's counting here 10, not counting the private years. And then he says here he died. Allah took him at the end of 60 years. Well, the, the, the truth was 63 years, not 60 years, but 63 years. Okay. All right. And Allah took him to uh, 60 years with fewer than 20 white hairs on his head and his beard. They counted. Many people know that prophets have more tests than anybody else, but they also have more peace than anybody else. So don't fear taqwa. Okay. Do not fear taqwa. Because some people say, oh, if I have a lot of taqwa and I'm very good, I'm going to get tested. I don't want to be tested. No, you're going to, yeah, you'll, you'll have a bigger test. You'll also have a bigger protection. Okay? You'll have a bigger protection. Next hadith. And Anas ibn Malik qala kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rab'atan. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was of the medium level of height with a little bit to the taller. Like medium with a little taller. Laysa bit-tawili wa la bil-qasiri. He was not tall nor short. Hassan al-Jismi. Beautiful, perfect proportions of his body. You know, some people, their body's not proportionate. They always say, swimmers, for example. Okay? Swimmers, they to be a good swimmer, you actually need to have a big torso and smaller legs. To be a good runner, longer legs, smaller torso. Okay? So... But the Prophet ﷺ had the perfect proportions of his body. Okay. Okay. His his hair was not curly nor straight, and it was dark, black hair. Okay. When he walked, he would stride confidently. The Prophet never walked slowly as if there's nothing to do. He always walked directly where he wanted to walk. He was marbu'a, strong, okay? broad-shouldered, okay? of, uh, of medium height, but broad-shouldered. Marbu'a, from the middle level of height. So the short people did not feel that they're so different from him, and the tall people did not feel they're so different from him. And one of the miracles of the Prophet is that uh, any time that he walked with the people, 
he seemed taller than whoever he was with. So no, there was never a moment where people felt that, oh, someone's towering over the messenger, peace be upon him. They never felt that. Okay. Luxuriant hair. Like his locks were full, luxuriant hair, reaching to the lobes of his ears. Would go Like the one lock would flow down to the lobe of his ear. Then, of course, the hair from the back of the head would go down to the shoulder. Okay. He's saying, one time I saw the Prophet in a red garment. I never saw anything more beautiful than him. One of the reasons that the Sahaba used to follow the Prophet, they just loved to look at him. And when you want a leader, this is the leader of the last religion. This is the final, this is the leader of all leaders. You want a leader that has the qualities, you know, that people want to see in a leader. And they want their leaders to be handsome, okay, and strong. But there's a difference between the handsomeness. The handsomeness of Yusuf, salam caused uh, fitna for women. They, had, they lusted for him. That you can't have in the, the last prophet. Cannot have that feature. So the Prophet, sallallahu beauty had a coverage to it that made people, that made women stay off of that. They didn't cross their mind. Okay, as a result, they could follow him, and as a, without fitna, and as a result, their husbands could did not mind their wives following him. Because if the husbands, if the women are now lusting for the prophet, peace be upon him, this is going to cause a problem for the women and the men. All right. Okay. Next hadith on Bara ibn Azim قال ما رأيت من ذي لمة في حلة حمراء أحسن من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم له شعر يضرب منكبيه بعيد ما بين المنكبين لم يكن بالقصير ولا بالطويل. He said I never saw a man with hair prettier than the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Okay, especially when he wore a red suit and his hair would flow back and hit between his shoulder blades. So his hair was tended to be towards the shoulders, right? A lot of times he had hair that would go all the way to the shoulders and when he sometimes came out without his head covered. So he's speaking about a specific moment where he saw the Prophet ﷺ coming at night so the full moon was shining and the Prophet came out without his turban on because at nighttime you don't need to wear a turban. You only need a turban in the daytime. And that the locks of hair would flow backwards and hit between the shoulder blades on the red garment that he was wearing and his shoulders were broad such that you had a man here just staring at him and describing it later on to people how amazing the sight was. He said the Prophet ﷺ was uh, neither short nor tall, like perfect height. You know that very tall people don't get hired as models. I know that because there was a convert friend of ours who um, was a model. But, you know, his career had to come to an end because models... You just need to be around six feet, whether you're five eleven, six feet, six one. He was like six five or six four. So he'd go in and the suit was too short. Right. And he, he said to me that his first year of work, he was working alongside Brad Pitt. Because he was half African American half black and half Native American. And he was in a bar, but he wasn't a Muslim. 
and then an agent came up to him. He's in a bar in Boston. Agent agent came up to him and said, "You got to work with us," because he had a very unique look to him. Uh, t- uh, when he ended up being basically being, rem- you know, told you're too big, he would go in and they just have a bunch of suits. They're not going to give you anything that's you, you need to be five eleven to six one. Right, that's it, and that world of modeling. So he ends up uh, not being able to work. I said, what, what's that world like? He said, it is the easiest job. You just work out every morning. You work out in the afternoon. You watch what you eat, but you can't. It's not that easy. You got to work out in the morning. got to work out at night. You got to watch what you eat. And then you just got to stay in the good graces of the business because ultimately when you become an, uh, uh, a men's suit model, your, your life is made, right? Once you pass the youth era and then you just like you're wearing suits and stuff that's it you show up you wear the suit they put it on you they tie your tie they just sit and you just pose right and so that's where you know their life is made they make a a bunch of money for basically standing there and exercising in the daytime of course this is not a i don't think this is a permitted job in the first place but maybe who knows maybe the suit model covers the aura right he is fulfilling a service for the company so maybe has some permissibility to it but you can't you better do something with your money on the side because what? how do you justify that existence, right? Um, also, do we do sort of believe in hasid, right? People see you like that all the time and then they see you in real life and they give you hasid. Who knows? In any event, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, next hadith, okay, also on the image of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is on Ali ibn Abi Talib. قَالَ لَمْ يَكُنِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِالطَّوِيلِ وَلَا بِالْقَصِيرِ شَثْنُ الْكَفَّيْنِ وَالْقَدَمَيْنِ ضَخْمُ الرَّأْسِ ضَخْمُ الْكَرَادِيسِ طَوِيلُ الْمَسْرُبَةِ إِذَا مَشَى تَكَفَّأَ تَكَفُّأَ كَأَنَّمَا يَنْحَطُّ مِنْ صَبَبٍ لَمْ أَرَ قَبْلَهُ لَبَعْدَهُ مِتْلَهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم Ali Sayyidina Ali says the Prophet was neither tall nor short, endowed with sturdy hands and feet, stout head and limbs, lengthy hair on the chest, stout, strong, big head, he didn't have a small head. Some people, their head is not big, right? When he walked, he would walk and incline forward as if descending. What does that mean? The opposite of the arrogant walk. The arrogant walks like this with his head up in the air, right? Like a king or something. No, he would walk downwards as if he was going downwards. He said, I've never seen anyone like him before him nor after him. Ali ibn Abi Talib also described the Prophet wasallam, saying he was neither assertively tall nor reticently short. So in this description, he says that there are there's tall and short that doesn't move the needle that much. So he says he was not assertively tall. That means so tall that you, you have to say he's tall, right? Nor so short that you would notice, oh, he's really short. So, so there is an, a middle length, a middle height, and then there's a little bit you can go to the short and a little bit to the tall, that, which is within the acceptable, Right? But he's saying the Prophet was neither from the extremes. In other hadith, we see that the Prophet, imagine the line down the middle, right? Taller than 50% and shorter than 50%, but then add a little bit to the Prophet. So he was taller than maybe 55 or 60% of the people, okay? And then he says he was amongst the average in the in height of the people. So taller than, let's say, 56 or 55 or 60% of the people. His hair was neither 
crisply curled, nor was it straight. It was loosely curled. It had a wave to it. He was not plump nor chubby-cheeked. Some people, you can see that Allah created the way they're created. It's not that they overeat. Hey, Omar, can you do me a favor and push that light over? Starting to give me a headache. Just push it towards the wall. Yeah. Neither was he... Um, yeah, just face it that way. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. All right. We have a little bit of... We're going a little romantic mode today. That's okay. No problem. So they, they're created with more chubby cheeks. Okay. And some people are created with very thin cheeks. Like you need to... You, you see the person, you want to give them zakah. Very thin cheeks. The Prophet ﷺ had something in the middle of this. He had high cheekbones that you could see the bone and you could see the cut here, but he had a roundness. So he had a high cheekbones and he had a, 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 you know, like the cut here. When you have high cheekbones, you could see the bone. But there was a roundness at the same time to his face. So his face was neither like a, a chubby, nor was it like a sword. Okay, It was like that perfect middle. So if you want to, um, if you love to see somebody with a full face, you would love to see the Prophet. And if you love to see somebody with the cheekbone cut, you would love to see the Prophet wasallam. And so both of these types, it is said, and Allah knows best, that the round-faced people, they're cautious in life. They're the prey in life. And the sharp cheekbone people are the predators of life. Right? And if you're extreme, you eliminate people. Like the, 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 the cautious and safe people will not like you. Because they're, you, they, they're afraid of you. You're too aggressive. But if you're too round-faced and chubby-faced, then the sharpshooters the predators of life will not respect you right you're you're prey you're weak okay and so right down the middle is how the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was okay is looking at islamic information in wikipedia bad i can't say it's bad but if it's a ruling on doctrine and law then yeah it's not good um, on doctrine and law, go to the human beings that you know, the people, the physical connections that you know, and then ask them, give me a playlist. Give me a reliable, a playlist is like a book. Give me a reliable book. Give me a, a reliable playlist. Or just answer my question directly. It's so important in Islam to make human connections. And the best use of the internet is to connect people together. That's what we're doing here. What else did the pro that say Nadi say about the Prophet peace be upon him? He walked downwards. It will always look like he was walking downwards. Okay, whenever somebody called his name, the Prophet said, "Him never turned his neck; rather, he turned his whole chest." Okay, he was the most generous of people, and between his shoulder blades there was a seal of prophets that was almost like the they describe it as the size of a pigeon egg. Okay, and that. It was almost like a cookie cutter was stamped on the Prophet Wasallam's back such that it raised like a cookie cutter, okay? Almost like a, a cookie cutter mark on the Prophet's back. That was the seal of prophethood. When he spoke, always spoke the truth. The manner of his speech was always gentle. He was never harsh. The, and he, was, he would be more simple than long-winded, never long-winded. Okay, 
in interaction, he was always more noble than anybody else. Okay. If someone saw him unexpectedly, he was awestruck. You were like, oh, this is the leader. This is the king. That's how you saw. But when you came near him, you saw none of that haughtiness, none of that. He was completely personable, easy. By the way, speaking of personability, I always try to answer everyone, but you have to understand now, I'm not on the social media platforms anymore. So if you send messages to DM, I don't get them. It's not that I don't want to get them, but I just had to prioritize activities. So I don't like people feel like I'm going to ignore them, but I'm not ignoring them. Even most platforms, there's no way to keep uh, track anymore uh, of all of them. No way to answer everybody and do work at the same time. So I had to prioritize one or the other. Next, just just because the prophet here was always, people came came near him. They loved him because he was so personable and so humble to them. I think the online world... It, 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 it disallows us from practicing this all the time because there's going to be so many messages you can't answer. People feel like they're ignored. Say, so, Nadi said, I've never seen anyone like him ever since then. Okay, neither before nor after. Hassan ibn Ali, he had a maternal aunt, uncle, this is a mistake, uh, a maternal aunt, Hind, the son of, no, this is a mistake. All right. Hind ibn Abi Hala. All right. Anyway, let's just go to Hind Abi Hala is a man. The translation says, "My maternal aunt Hind." No, Hind is an is is one of those names that can go both ways. And Ib. Ibn Abi Hala Al Hassan Ali Sa'altu Khali. I asked my maternal uncle Hind Ibn Abi Hala. Alright. Kana Wasafan. Hind Ibn Abi Hala. Okay. Is not a female. It's a male. So the translation here is wrong. And again, this is a good example of a great website, but there are mistakes in it. You need to be with a human being. Alright. You need to learn from a human being. You read, but also learn from a human being. He says he used to be a wasaf. A wasaf was someone who could describe things. He had the vocabulary, the ability to describe details very well. People just love to sit and listen to his descriptions of things. He said, describe the messenger. How, how does Hassan and Hussein have an uncle? It's because Khadija, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she had married before the Prophet and had sons. Okay? So those sons would be the half-brothers of Fatima, right? Half-brother. So for Hassan and Hussein, that would make them their uncle, okay? Because the half-brother is an uncle uh, to the kids of the half-sister. The Prophet wasallam was like an honored dignitary. His face was always shining with radiance, right? You ever see somebody who slept really well? had a really good night's sleep, slept early and had a great night's sleep, they wake up and they're radiant. Especially add to that, they're like healthy, they're spiritually healthy, they're physically healthy, all that together, they have a shine to their face. And the Prophet also used to always use oils, right? To, 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 he's always used oil on his hair, on his uh, face, on his skin, etc. It's, it's a sunnah, in fact. All right. 
the Sunnah. So he said that, again, he's described his face is prettier than the full moon, more beautiful than the full moon. He was taller than medium size and shorter than a slender giant, right? So the medium size plus a little bit. That's why I said if the average, perfectly average is taller than 50% and shorter than 50%, Prophet was maybe between 55 and 60, 60% taller than 55 or 60% of the population. But he said that now his head was large and his hair was impressively wavy, okay? All right. And he would sometimes would divide between his hair in the middle and sometimes he would push it back. All right. All right. And he would always let it grow plentifully and grow, let it grow long. Okay. And his eyebrows, what was the description of the prophet's eyebrows? What are eyebrows like? Generally, eyebrows can be close to straight. Eyebrows can be pointed down. You know those people who, whose eyebrows point down? They're a bit scary, right? They scare people. All, I have a relative. Every time she walks in the room, someone says, why are you frowning? I'm like, I, I don't think they're frowning. Their face looks mean, right? Their face, their eyebrows point down. They look mean, right? They're not frowning. Uh, some people, their eyebrows are arched, and that, that's the description of the prophet's eyebrows. Some eyebrows could be thick and thin, right? And some in the middle, like angry birds, very thick. Or, you know, these L'Oreal types where it's like drawing, right? It's a drawing. No, the prophet was neither that. But closer to thin. And it was arched. It was not pointing down, nor was it um, straight. It was, it was an arch to it, like perfectly arched. Okay? Someone here is saying that if you can raise the volume, please. So that was the description of the prophet's eyebrows. Okay. But the eyebrows did not come together. They were not conjoined. Right. The eyebrows stopped. There were two distinct eyebrows. They were not conjoined. And believe it or not, in some Persian cultures in the past, if you look at their paintings, they loved the conjoined eyebrow. How weird is that? Right. I mean, to us, it's all relative, this stuff, right? Because, we're, well, we're now in a society that loves uh, women with beards, right? That's what the trans world is all about. So how weird is that? So the, once you get into paganistic ideas, you become weird relative to the rest of the world population, right? And, but in the Persian paintings, they, it seems that they, they loved, even the woman, they loved a woman with one eyebrow. It's all over their paintings. Why would else would they paint it? They're clearly trying to paint a pretty woman, right? And they love the conjoined eyebrow, right? But the Prophet Sallallahu eyebrows were clearly distinctly two eyebrows, okay? Now, what was the uh, forehead of the Prophet look like? The forehead of the Prophet had a distinction. It was a, neither was it slanted, nor was it rounded. You ever see that some people could have a rounded forehead, other people have a slanted forehead, like a Liam Neeson type of forehead, right? And this is pretty famous with the, um, in the Albanian culture. They always talk about it. The Albanian, the Bosnian a little bit, they have a forehead that's very unique. And some of my friends, I have, a, I have a, where was that brother from? I think he was Albanian. Right? He used to always, him and his brother used to always say, oh, I could spot an Albanian a mile away from the forehead. Right, um, in the countryside, in the, in in England and those places, they used to make fun of the country uh, bumpkins, okay, that used to 
have a rounded forehead. They used to make fun of that. So, uh, and I mean, nobody should make fun of anything that Allah created that way. Okay. You can make fun of something that you changed. Yeah, because if it's a bad habit, you can blame the habit, right? Like the way people do stuff with their body, if it's blameworthy, we can blame it. But we don't make fun of something that's how Allah created it. So the Prophet had neither of those two. Neither did he have the slanted one nor the rounded one. But he had like a straight forehead, okay? And there was a vein in the middle of that forehead that emerged from his forehead, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he was angry, when he was got emo- uh, uh, excited and emotional about something, that vein came out. What did the nose of the Prophet look like? Did he have a straight nose? Did he have a pointy nose? What was the nature of the nose? So there's two parts when they describe, there's three parts when they describe the nose. They describe the slope, okay? They describe the bone, and they describe the width. So when it comes to the bone, there was, you could see that there was a tip in there. It was not perfect, just a straight. No, there was, it, there, you could see the emergence of a bone in the nose. So that if you looked at the profile, it was not a straight, slant, a straight uh, nose. You could see that almost like it would come out. There was like a little bit of a, uh, a bump there, okay, in the nose. Then there, what about the slant? Slants, sometimes, again, in the old European um, traditions and customs, they would draw the country bumpkin with that rounded forehead, but the upturned nose. And then they would always draw the, the sneaky criminal with a very downturned nose that it was like pointing down, right? The opposite of the upturned nose. And they said the Prophet ﷺ was more towards pointing down, but not too, too down, right? It was pointing down, but not too much down, okay? And it was not an upturned nose. He did not have an upturned nose, okay? Now, for the width, it was, was not a skinny nose. There was width to his nose, Okay? This part was not very skinny. Skinny, almost like an, an eagle nose, right? Nor was it wide, like sometimes they describe it as the, the Greco-Roman nose, right? The very big bump and the very wide nose. So it wasn't like that. It had width to it. So it was, some things are average. You notice a lot of things they say that there's an average, but slightly towards one. That's exactly what it is. It had a bone in the nose. There was a bone that emerged from the nose, Okay. There was, it was slightly down, pointing down, and it was slightly more wide than, th- than thin. Probably maybe a little bit wider than yours. Maybe a little bit wider, but pretty close to yours. Yeah. So that was the description of the prophet's nose. Tell us when our guest arrives, and we can do it. Okay, good. Now let's talk now, what is the next subject they bring up? His beard. The beard of the Prophet was thick and full. Okay? Reach down to here. Thick and full. How about the neck? Uh, the, 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 the mouth of the Prophet was wide. 
Okay, again, mouths can be described by the thickness of the lips and the width of the mouth. So the and the curvature. So the Prophet Sallallahu he it's described had thicker th- lips than thin. They were thick, not thin. They were curved. There was curvature to the lips of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There was not it was not um straight. Okay. And the mouth was more wide. It was wide. It was a bit it was large. It was not a thin mouth. It was large. Okay. As for the teeth of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the unique feature of the teeth was a slight gap in the between the first two teeth. There was a slight gap between them. They were not together. All right, slight gap there. The neck of the Prophet was strong, they said. It was a strong neck, wide, long. Necks, of course, can have descriptions, right? You can have someone with a short neck, too long of a neck, too skinny of a neck, too fat of a neck. Ever see a lineman? And these linemen out of Texas? Very thick necks. Okay? Some people say if you eat too much khanzir, you get a very fat neck and you start getting a pinkish hue and you start to look like a khanzir. I don't know if that's true, but... Um, he did not have a fat neck nor a skinny neck. He had... It was a long but strong neck. That's it. They describe it like that. Like as if it was a sculpture made out of silver. Okay. All right. Let's stop here from the Shema. I'll take a screenshot of where we left off. Okay. This is Shema 8. Let's take a screenshot where you left off. And then circle the line where we're at. Okay. Safe to photos. All right. Omar Abbasi um, is back, by the way, at the control room. And a couple weeks ago, there was a youth program. And Uthman Ibn Af- uh, uh, Uthman Qurayshi, also known as Az, affectionately, <laughs> Met uh, somebody said you have to bring this imam on the stream, and that's exactly what we're doing. We have a lot to talk about. We have an imam here, who Omar. Do we have a bio? Huh? Okay. All right. We have an imam here. He will introduce himself because we didn't have a specifically have a bio, so we're going to have to give him the haraj of introducing himself. But we have a lot to talk about youth work. Ashadis in Saudi Arabia. Even some experiences with the jinn. That's always exciting. Okay. Right. So let us now go. Hold on one second. Uh, I'll check the time and check everything. So. All right. Let's begin. All right. Transition. Omar, bring him in. Here we go. Welcome to the Safina Saudi Nothing But fa- fa- pa- uh, Facts podcast. Sheikh Ahmed Salim, and I believe you're from Georgia. Is that correct? I live in Georgia. I'm from Canada. Canada. From so Canada, like lives in Georgia, so went from the yeah. snow to the heat. Ahlan Omar Haban. It's a, How are you? great to have you on, and I'm really Likewise. looking forward to hearing the stories. 
Uh, why don't you start off with telling us, firstly, what was the occasion in which you met our man, Othman? Yeah, so we were supposed to be uh, in a camp, and uh, I went to this camp, and, you know, here comes this guy in white sob in a, in a Georgia heat, and mm-hmm. he walks in, and they're like, oh, this is Uthman, he's going to be teaching with you, and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's, that's good, we're going to get to learn a lot, mm-hmm. and alhamdulillah, it was a good experience uh, teaching together, we got to talk uh, on various wavelengths, I took him out for coffee every single morning. Proper coffee, not Starbucks. Tea, but, Mashallah. But uh, you know, yeah. I don't know what you're drinking, but yeah, <laughs> I always do it homemade. That's but it. But you know That's... that the, the, these coffee operations, they give you two, three cups. I save the cup, right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I never yeah. waste it. I'm not a waster. Alhamdulillah. So, Alhamdulillah. Uh, Alhamdulillah. so you took him out for coffee all, every, every day. day of the event. He never paid once, huh? So I'm sure he enjoyed it. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> now, uh, so you, because you, you are a hometown now. You are the hometown imam, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you how Uthman got there is that Mina asked, sent me an email. They said, come out. I said, I can't come out, but I have these shabab that can come out. And I encourage all of our students, all of the young teachers, everybody who learned a little bit, go contribute. To anything that you're... Don't say, I can only go if they support the maulid. I can only go if their aqidah is right. I can only go if the aesthetics are beautiful. No. Whatever it is within Ahlul Sunnah, go there, suck it up, and teach. And respect whatever way they do things. As long and as pay, it's within uh, Ahlul or, or as my sheikh used to say, and pay your dues. Pay your dues, right? <laughs> That's, without that, there is no moving forward. There's no move. There's no shortcut to being respected yeah, in this Pay your dues, field. yeah, yeah. Pay your dues. And you got to earn. And no sublet, um, subversiveness. Don't go and try to sneak 100%. the kids over to your madhab. You know, no subversiveness. Be open yeah. and honest. Teach. If they're, if let's say they may have a hesitation towards something, don't go there. Yeah. Like some There's people so have much a, that unifies us that we need to talk about rather than getting into the the, exactly. the, the speech that we sometimes get in, in, in our private circles or in yeah. our ilmi circles. That's not for awam. No, it's not. It's not meant for awam. Like, you know, I, I, I learned this the hard way. I was pretty young and I, I gave a lecture and I told them about that story where uh, Abdullah bin Masood, I think he drank the, the hijama blood of Prophet mm-hmm. Right? And then these the, the awam couldn't understand. He said, yep. the Quran says it is haram. That nice. is, and, they couldn't, like, and I was like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, I was like, at that time, 25. I was like, yep. you know what? Obviously, they're not going to get it because there's so much pretext they need to have and context before they can get this. Exactly. That's so, why you got to go in. And sometimes when there's a great institution like Zaytuna Institute back in the day, People would go study at Zaytuna Institute, but they become so picky. They would not enter an organization that didn't have the aesthetics, that didn't have the respect of the shiuch. Then you become useless, right? Yeah. They're too picky. No, we have to be grimy, right? Yeah. Go. Wherever there's Muslims, go in there. Elbow grease. Deuce, suffer. Elbow grease. Elbow, Elbow grease. grease. Tell us, how did you get from Canada to Atlanta? So uh, the story is quite shocking, but like, you know, so there's this masjid, which is my masjid today. Uh, you know, I've been giving, you know, da'wah and working in Canada uh, with Isna Canada and other massages so and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, uh, my mom calls me and says, there's this masjid, they want to talk to you. I said, mom, this is my number. Tell them to call me. Six months, they don't call me. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, one day at December, they said, hey, you know, we want to come on a hop on a Zoom call and see what if we're a fit. And from there, we were like, 
back and forth. It took us a year and a half to, you know, check off everything to make sure that I'm the right fit, they're the right fit. And, you know, all of, I came in multiple times, uh, saw the community, hung out with the community, led in Eid Salah, did so many other things. Eventually, we're like, yeah, I think this is the right fit. And then, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it happen for me to come to Georgia. At that time, I had multiple offers from like Dallas, from Houston. So, uh, and I was just like, I was like, man, Dallas, Houston are so saturated with like imams and doing work. Like, Atlanta's got nothing going. Mm. It's going to feel hard to make a difference, that you're making a difference. A difference, yes. Yeah. You, you'll be making a difference, but the needle in comparative to what others, it's good. Mm -hmm. But over here, when you come, it's a playing field. You can yep. actually make an impact and mm -hmm. people can actually also visually see that impact. Yep. So, alhamdulillah, I chose, uh, again, I chose a lesser package yep. for a better opportunity in the long run. And I think sometimes the younger imams don't get that. No, they don't get that. <laughs> like, they want to get that six-figure, they want to hit it. And I'm like, oh, no, please. it's not about the six-figure. Nope. It's about what card are you dealt. And if you can make the most of that card, in the long run, you will eventually get there, right? Yep. You will be paid for what you're worth, but you got to become worthwhile. Uh, uh, firstly, as soon as anybody in any field, forget Islam, in any field is concerned with the financial bottom line, that person has missed it. Yeah. Like what you got to, you have to sh be able to prove that you're a difference maker. Yeah. Right. The, the, the money and stuff will take care of itself. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of itself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, as, as Jim Rohn used to say, the, the most important question we need to ask uh, on a job is uh, not what you're making, but what you're becoming. Yes. What you're becoming and, and, and is the place around you changing? Yeah. Which is why I feel that whenever someone is itinerant in their nature, which means itinerant means like they always move from city to city, from job to job, they actually shortchange themselves because they can never really show a before and after, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here so that you, was, and six years later, this it was. Exactly. Like, so even in the company, right? Well, the company was here. When I came in, it was here. Yeah. When I left, it was here, right? Definitely. So definitely. whether Dean or Dunya, now... You know, a lot of people on the live stream know that I'm sort of really into maps. So where are you in Atlanta? Uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. Where? Alpharetta, Georgia. Alpharetta. 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 So uh, the, wow. the, the rat or the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> because we had recently another guest who went to La Cucaracha, California, which is the cockroach. So wow. what is, what's up with all these names? Alpharetta wow, being, is this an Arab name? I have farata. no idea. La <laughs> Maybe that's uh, why I came here. <laughs> Alpharetta, Georgia with a, um, with PH, correct? Yeah, yeah, with PH, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at it here. I'm into maps. I want to know exactly where you're at, where we're going. I mean, where we're talking about. You are, maybe looks like an hour out of Atlanta. Central? Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so you couldn't, you wouldn't consider yourself within the two eighty five loop. You're that's considered downtown, right? No, I'm out of that. I'm out You're of way that. out yeah. of that. Yeah, right? way out of that. But the two eighty five, twenty miles out of that. Okay, well, you would say Atlanta proper is Highway two eighty five circles it, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. in Washington D.C., there's Maryland, Washington D.C., Virginia. It's encircled by, I believe, it's four ninety five. Yeah, it's it's a Beltway, right? Like that, yeah. and yeah. a lot of these cities they have one of those beltways right yeah so yeah. atlanta also has a 285 beltway 
at, what do you guys call it? 285. 285, okay. Uh-huh. And then El Farata, you're going to take any, you just to take 285, or you could take 85 through. Through. 85 becomes Route 19. Which is 400, yeah. Right. So I live on Route 19, Highway 19. Okay. Yeah. Highway 19. And then, yeah. so El Farata is essentially 19, cuts through the middle. 120 and 9 make an arch around it. That's the summary of the highway system of Atlanta, uh, of Al Farata. And how many Muslims and how many Masajid and how many Islamic schools are in? So, just in the North Fulton County, this is the county that we're in. Oh, we, the Braves. Yeah. yeah, North Fulton County. Where the Braves play. Okay. I don't know the Braves. Yeah. Braves play so far out of Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. So, North Fulton County is where we are. And uh, we have around. Six very thriving masajids here. Mashallah. Uh, Hamza being the biggest one right now, and then that's where you're at. One. Yeah, and then and then there's a new one that's being constructed in three four years. That would be probably the biggest Islamic center in Georgia. Where do the kids go to school there? Uh, they go to Amana Academy. We have a a charter school which is public funded, owned by run owned and run by Muslims, and a uh, very nice brother brother Ihab Jalil. He runs it and. Uh, uh, you know, this is, I think, look going forward, I think this would be the model that Muslims really need to look into, Amana um, Academy, and he's opened the second one. So he opens it up to, to anyone, but it's predominantly understood that, you know, the teachers and stuff, and there's non-Muslim teachers too, but it's a value-based charter school. And it's, you know, uh, it's a lot safer than a, a public school because at the end of the day, the administration is, uh, you know, acceptive where we need to be. Yeah, like, but not like the extreme. Uh, all goes acceptance. <laughs> for for those who don't know what a charter school is, a charter school is uh, when a group of families come together. A group of people say, "We want to start a public school." So the yeah. government will then accept their application. Of course, it's a process, and then they will say, "Okay, you have to abide by certain things. We'll pay all the bills. You have to abide by a certain set of rules." Like this curriculum, this stuff, you have to have town meetings. Everything has to be by a vote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, beautiful. Yeah, Muslims come together, and if it's like 80% Muslim families, they may set a dress code, for example. They yeah. may have halal meat. They may take days off on Eid. They may take the last 10 days off from Whatever the town we meeting vote Jum- Jum'ah half day. Jum'ah is a half day, for example. Now, and I think so, Muslims ought to work towards that. Right? Yeah, That's a, it's, it's yeah. a good solution. And because uh, the most important thing is to have a population of Muslims, right? Because yeah. let's say the some people say, well, the bad side of it is you can't control the curriculum. You can and can't. So you come to the the teacher is going to look and say, all right, today we're going to study Charles Darwin. He has this idea. And then the teacher rolls his eyes. He's yeah. giving signals to the students, right? <laughs> uh, one student says, uh, oh, that's all a bunch of nonsense. And the teacher doesn't say anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> or laughs. So the curriculum do, is not the be So khalas, we got to read the book. All right, you all understand what Darwinism is? All right, let's now study. Now, what you, one thing you can't do is teach religion. Yeah. Cannot teach religion. You can teach Arabic, but yeah, non-Islamic texts of Arabic. Yeah. Right? Non-Islamic te- Like you could teach Ajrumiya. There's yeah. no Sharia taught in Ajrumiya. There's no, he doesn't use Hadiths. He doesn't use Quran in Ajrumiya. So you Sharia teach, references are there, but that's for like grammatical and purposes, rhetorical yeah. purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing about charter schools. So how, what do they do? They usually shrink the day and they put in a slam class that's optional at the end of the day. Yeah. 
So the school day is over, and it's a club essentially. Yeah, it's an Islamic club. So when Any imams can be part of it, and other it, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Like I, I, we don't have that in Canada, but um, this is a really good model, I think, for Muslims to really explore because. Mm-hmm. You can then pay decent, you can have yep. facilities, you can grow, you can do fundraisers, yep. and it's way better than and running your own Islamic school. It's uh, in terms of the, the effort and the cost. Yes. For yeah. sure. Now, let me ask you this. Um, can the students make a club, an Islamic club that prays Dhuhr together? Yes, they do. So they have prayer and everything's there. So they, they, they offer prayers together. They That's facilitate good. a room and stuff. So it's it's very comedy because freedom of religion, right? What are they yeah. going to say? No. Do they... Do they Which do means a Christian can also request a room and you'll have to facilitate for that. Yeah, fine. fine. I mean, we're fine. you can we're be sure. married to a Christian and you facilitate the same thing in your own home. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. What about June? Ligbiriq, rainbow flags. Mm, Ligbiriq, I like that. Ligbiriq. <laughs> yeah, we can't we can't get flagged any more than we can by YouTube already. So, so we had to give it a little I name. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they make you Sorry, put that, flags that up? No, not that I know. There's nothing like that that happened so far. I'll find out in, in but, but but school in Georgia ends in May, anyways. So really? When, yeah. Hey, so, that's a great solution because you c- can't you vote for when the school year starts and ends? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't okay. know about that. I'm too new to Georgia to know about that. But I know that it ends in May, so school's over, and then Lake Bidigu comes after. Okay, that's good. So you're saved from it. Alhamdulillah for that. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. why is Uthman telling me, ask him about Eshadis in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> what's going? What's the deal with that? If people are uh, firstly, if people are asking what is Ashadi, because you have to define everything. Ashadi is a school of Islamic thought pertaining to how to respond to philosophers and atheists and other people who try to find fault in Islam in our aqidah. Yeah. So some scholars came up and they started answering them in a certain manner. Yeah. All right. Trying to rely upon the book and the sunnah as the source and defend it. That though that madhab was founded by Abu Hassan Ashari, he's the first one to do that in that manner, and so it became called the Ashari Aqidah. There was another called Abu Mansur al Maturidi, Abu Mansur al Maturidi, and it became called the Maturidi Aqidah. The Hanafis follow that. The Malikis and Shafis loved the Ashari Aqidah, they followed that, and the Hanbaris chose to abstain from such debates. Okay, yeah. and hence abstinence from such debates is the hallmark of the Hanbali creed. Yeah. All right. Now, which is so, embedded in the fiqh. Which is embedded in their fiqh, and yeah. it is essentially now unified in one. So, yeah. tell us now, why is he telling us uh, to ask him about Ashadis in uh, in Saudi? <laughs> mm-hmm. So he was shocked too. So, so you know, it's it's pretty shocking because sometimes we only get to see what is published on internet, but mm-hmm. there's a very big group of uh, Saudis who don't adhere to the Salafi way of even creed, the Wahhabi creed. They don't mm-hmm. adhere to that. And they usually congregate in pockets. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest pockets of such scholars where you will find the Maliki scholars and you will find the Shafi'i scholars and you will find the Hanafi scholars is in a city called Ahsa. That's mm-hmm. where I studied. Really? Uh, you know, yeah. SubhanAllah, so how did you get Ahsa. there? Uh, it was, it was to, we were having a conference on fiqh and we mm-hmm. came across this Sheikh, Dr. Abdulillah Al-Arfa. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I've heard the name, of uh, course, yeah. Yes, he has written this book. You have to read this book. It's called Mafhum Al-Bid'ah. 
It's mm. a page treatise of how we went wrong in Bidah. Subhanallah. Bidah. Subhanallah. You have to read it. I'll see if I can get a copy out to you. So, Mafum al Bid'ah is phenomenal. So, we were just having conversations, and he's like, Why don't you come down? So, subhanAllah, we took a trip down one weekend, and there goes our three to four years of driving every weekend to Ahsa and studying from the Mashaykh over there. And they are nothing but masters of Shafi'i fiqh, Ash'ari aqidah, Lugha, all the, all the things, the tradition. And you would, they, they, they celebrate Mawlid. Uh, obviously, they have a little bit more conservative version of that so mm -hmm. they don't do the maqam uh they, they won't do that but other than that it's like you, they read barzanji they have anashid they refrain from death but mm -hmm. they, because they've been influenced by that and they don't want any flags to go off because they're in a very hostile environment so mm -hmm. they have to be careful about that but it was it was shocking to see people so deeply in love with rasulullah and his way and what's what's also really interesting was that you would go there and adhan because it's according to the government takes place at the time of whatever the regular time of dhuhr but the iqama takes place later for the hanafis mm, so there are masajids they say this is a hanafi masjid and we will do the adhan at the same time but because the imam is hanafi then they they pray later so you have so much you you enjoy that you can actually miss jama'ah here and you know that in 45 minutes oh, they bring in that. and it's just it's it, you don't imagine that something like that exists ever in saudi so let me ask you this question you were already in saudi doing what there um yeah that's a <laughs> that's a full story so hmm. i wanted to go to i wanted to go to to, to medina university and all of these i was like yes i'm gonna be like that next student and then you realize when you get there that 25 is the age limit oh, in most of these places, which is ajib, which is like uh, past 25, you cannot go to Jamia. And then I said, okay, well, got to make the most because I've moved my family and everyone here. So let's now figure out what we can do. Mm. And subhanAllah, we started, I, I started studying with different varying, various different scholars until we ran into Sheikh Abdilila. And again, I w came from that age where I, I, I t or from that ideology where I tell the Sheikh, I said, you know, I only follow hadith like you gotta be you oh, know, subhanallah if you, don't, if, if you don't know you know so the sheikh is like look you're mm -hmm. an intellectual person you came from canada you have a degree from why don't you give it a shot and if things don't make sense to you after three months then don't do it mm. but what does it what's the harm in actually understanding yeah so i said yeah you're right i see you're a, you know i'm a very he stroked my ego he, like yeah, he's like let's let's play with you yeah and then Subhanallah, and I still remember in the dars, I was like, what's the delete for this? Ah, what's the delete for that? And, and he had so much patience with me in that three months until it I would, said, I was like, man, there's no way this is the wrong way. Subhanallah, it would make sense that no people know how to handle and to interact yeah. with the people who say, no madhab, I take straight from the Quran and the Hadith only, yeah. um, than them. Now, let's... Let's say you're a beginner listener and you don't know what we're saying. Um, when you eat food, let me give you an example. When you eat food, right? Nobody goes out to eat dinner by saying, let's go to the woods, <laughs> right? And let's hunt. Bismillah. Right? You know, no one would do that because you don't know what food is healthy for you to eat, what is not, yeah. right? You don't know what berry to pick and what you can't. So uh, you need somebody to help you do that, Okay. Secondly, the speech of Allah and his messenger is explicit mm -hmm. and it is also uh, equivocal. 
Equivocal means it's one word, one line, one sentence, but it may mean two meanings. The speech of Allah is also includes intentional silence. Yeah. Allah and his messengers, the Prophet said, Allah is silent upon matters on purpose yeah. as a mercy for you. So yeah. who then, and the speech of Allah is also mutashabih. It mm-hmm. may be, be an expression of some sort that seems to contradict something above it. Yeah. An explicit verse. So the explicit verses and hadiths, no one needs a scholar for it. You don't need us to be a scholar in Islam or to be even a student in Islam to know that the God is one. It's all mm. over the Quran. To know that alcohol is forbidden. It's all over the Muslim society like that, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that. You have to pray zakat. All you have to pray, have to give zakat. Yes. So he gave us that knowledge. Very crystal clear. You don't need scholarship for this. But what about the verses that could have two meanings? Three meanings, four meanings. What about the verses or the matters in which Allah and His Messenger were silent upon? What about the mutashabih? It seems to contradict something above it. So in that case, we need scholarship. 100%. And so that's what our guest is saying, is saying that uh, he was in a mode where I want the proof directly from the book. We're saying, okay, but it, there, it can be, you need to learn methodologies first of how to extract that. Okay. 100%, 100%. And so uh, that's where you did in the city of Al Ahsa. So you yes. worked and you studied on the on the side. Yes, yeah. So I I, I got a job and then uh, the job was not very taxing. So I spent almost ten years, just you know, surviving. ten years. You know, Mashallah, amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. In, in the Middle East, and then after that, I found another sheikh from India, mm-hmm. uh, from Jamia and Nuriya, and that's where I did my whole uh, you know Alamiya program, the, the typical Indian or subcontinent program, but in the Shafi'i Madhab. So, and did you and, do that part-time? Uh, I did it. I st- like I was doing it part-time, but I was taking a full-time course load. So I had a job and then, and, 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 uh, you know, uh, studied with the Sheikh every single morning before I would go to work. I would pick up the Sheikh. I would do classes for three hours, then drop with the Sheikh back, go to work, come back, sleep, wake up, pick up the Sheikh, do the second class. Right. And then oh, I tell this. Physically, I, in person. Yeah, yes. In person. Yeah. In okay. person. Okay. While I had a family and I had, you know, children and everything. And I tell people, I said, look, like, it's doable if you really think somehow miraculously you're going to go to Saudi Arabia and you're going to become someone or you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to. If you haven't benefited from the scholars that exist in your own city, there's no guarantee that you're going to go there and all of a sudden you're going to become so beneficial. Right, Let me you, tell you I know so many people that go there just eat burgers and they get KFC fries and they're like, oh my God, this is life. Yep. And they never come back. Let me tell you something that's very important for the listeners here. To be a student of knowledge, you need three things. You need to decide what you're going to follow and study. You need to have a curriculum for that. You don't set the curriculum. They'll tell you. Like Aqeedah, you study Tahawi. So mm-hmm. I decide I'm going to study Ash'ari Aqeedah. The first book is Tahawi. Next, you need consistency. So let's hypothetically say for the regular person out there, I can't, I don't have a sheikh. I don't have a school. All right. You take a playlist or you register for a course, Mm -hmm. but you have to set for yourself a schedule. That schedule can be as small as 15 minutes a day. But consistent. Got to do it every day. But you got to be consistent. You will not believe what happens to you at the end of the year. You just won't believe it. Right, you won't believe what happens to you at the end of the year. Um, I, I I couldn't echo that, you know, yeah. further. I think this is 
this is we're living in this instant gratification mode mm -hmm. where we want to get the quick knowledge like you know you were teaching the shamail and like we teach shamail and i don't know what extent you're going but like we've been teaching shamail and i think we're on like chapter number four uh you know uh sifati tarajuli sha'ari nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it took us six months to get there once a week mm -hmm. 30 minutes each and every little thing like yeah. you know to and then and you got to drill it into the people that you know the all the sifat of the sha'ar of nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam can be described as the word walij and then you can describe different lengths and then but then you have to to conceptualize it and then some people are like no no sheikh can we just like read the hadith can we just like skim yeah. through it like yeah. but no there's so many benefits of uh, you know, of all of these hadiths, sometimes it's like it talks about Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas and, uh, you know, the Arsh of Rahman was shaken. Why is that hadith mentioned? There's a lot to learn for us. It's not just randomly that Imam Tirmidhi just decided that he's going to put this hadith in mm -hmm. there. There's a very sequential thing that there. And then also this whole tangent that people have, we can't teach Shamail because I said Daif hadith in it. SubhanAllah. <laughs> they, they, they need some... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need some smacking around. You shouldn't be talking about something that has such an obvious answer. Weak yeah. hadith can be used, right? For those who are just learning about this, we use weak hadith in everything except law. Except law, 100%. Right? Now, um, and, and I think, I think I don't know if you've covered this, but it, it's yeah. also we have, we have people have to understand how these books were framed. The, the framing of all of these, the sunan and all of that was that, you know, uh, even Adab al-Mufrad, like I tell people, Imam Bukhari wrote Sahih. And then afterwards, you all of a sudden forgot how Sahih Hadith was. Yeah, subhanAllah. Wow, subhanAllah. oh my God. Like, oh my God. Yeah. He just like totally had dementia or something. Yep. And now he started putting Daif Hadith, right? Yeah. No, it's that we probably didn't understand how mm -hmm. to work with Daif Hadith, right? Yep. And it's basically they would establish a particular context. They will say, yep. this thing, here's one or two Sahih Hadith. This is established in our deen. Yep. Now let's add meat to that. Yeah, the spices. Spices, yeah. Uh, Adab al-Mufrad is almost as if Bukhari's Sunan. <coughs> it is, technically. Right? Yeah, Where he yeah, admits yeah, yeah. the... Uh, and he goes into those extra chapters. Extra chapters and... Yeah, because the word Sunan, the book Sunan, when you say Sunan, it means that it starts off with some Sahih Hadith, some sound Hadith, then it adds the weaker ones as yeah. like to, to, to the, the garnish almost yeah. around. To it. add the flavor. Yeah. But when Bukhari wrote a Sahih, he restricted his book only to the sound hadiths. Yeah. Uh, what you're and saying... And it was a legislative work too. Exactly. Right? The purpose was it's a legislative work. It's a legislative work as how to live as a Muslim. And it truly, it's his ijtihad. It he, is. He, as you look at it, I, tend, I, I like the, the, the analysis that Bukhari was a, his own madhab, his own mujtahid. Yes, he, he loved the Shafi'i <coughs> usul of the Ahad hadith, the Sahih had and Ahad hadith. And is he's doing ijtihad. And his opinion is in his selection of hadiths. Or the titles of the chapters. Or the titles of the chapters. Ijtihad means he's his own law um, school of thought, essentially. Yeah. He doesn't follow anyone in a school of thought. But his, usu, his methodology is close to Shafi. Very so close. What you're saying is that a Muslim should have the habit, the routine of studying is far more important than finishing. Finishing. Results... Results, claims to have finished a book are a mirage and an illusion of knowledge. They are not knowledge. And hence, the routine nature of studying is truly what transforms us, not 
the completion element of things. 100%. That's and that's what, what so many students, when they come back, Sheikh, yeah. they get that piece of paper and mm-hmm. you know that they atrophy like no tomorrow. Oh, that right? piece you, of paper. You, know, is... you were talking to the person and you're like, are you like us? Like, yeah, and I said, yeah, but yeah. like, you're not making sense. Like, Subhanallah. You, you've, you've so, we went so far and atrophied from that knowledge and, and, and environment because mm-hmm. you've not kept up. You've not... Yeah. You force yourself to do your own muraja'a, your own tadarus, your own readings, you know, listening to yeah. mashayikh, right? Senior mashayikh, listening yeah. to some senior scholars, right? People, oh, how the, oh this, I already have an ijaz. I don't need to listen to this sheikh. Uh, I said, this sheikh is like 70 years old. Like yeah. he has 40 years more experience than you. You got to listen to him because you're not listening to him for ilm. You're listening to him for fawaid. Yeah. And, and, it will take you 40 years to get. And also... The true scholar that's reliable is somebody who has mulazama with the ulama to the point that you can tell the elders so-and-so and they'll know who he is, right? Yeah. That's what keeps us online, uh, on, che- in, uh, on, on track. In check. Yeah, and in check. And yeah. uh, mulazama is more important than ijazat and takharujat. 100%. Right? The, yeah, 100%. the people who are always with the shiuch, they, if one thing that they will have is caution. Yeah. Whereas sometimes someone who has degrees and he has ijazas can become bold, right? Yeah. And distant from the scholars and your mind very slowly veers into a weird trajectory. And um, that piece of paper is, to me, it's, it's, it's one of the most dangerous things that happens to people. People mm-hmm. ask me all the time, what do I get at the end of this? And I'm like, you're asking the wrong question. We are on a, ha- a routine and a habit and a way of life of knowledge that will continue until we enter our graves. There's nothing to be had. There's not, this is the result. This is the goal. The, the, the continue, continuity of living with knowledge and scholarship is the goal. Yeah. And the that piece of, that piece of paper is the process, not the destination. That piece of paper is a lot it, it's it's your your death because you're basically killing the process yeah. you're saying the process is done with and when people ask me and they always ask me all the time in my person the classes that i give what what happens when i finish the cycle we have a cycle a four-year cycle of the foundations of religion right Question. we look at what the four methods are saying in usul so that people can make a decision things like that of class the fundamentals that to be a literate muslim Okay. Beautiful. That you can be part of an organization. You can be a board member and you won't, you know, be a royal disaster. Things like that. And they always say, what do I get at the end? I said, oh, you want something for the end? I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to open my MacBook. I'm going to type your name, make it f- fancy, send it to Staples, which is the print <laughs> store. I'm going to go next door to Staples. There's a store called Michael's that sells overpriced picture frames. I'm going to go there. I'm going to frame it. I'm going to put it in a little paper bag. All right. Come home, uh, put a ribbon on it, and then I'm going to present it to you. You happy? It's a certificate of completion. What does it do for you? Right? It's nothing. It's just a piece of paper. The process is what's important. And I'm telling you, people have finished my four-year thing. Then they imagine that they finished. They didn't keep coming. Right? And you may talk to them. It's all lost. 
that it, it's all lost. So they yeah. confused discovery with ta'allum. So they discovered things. things. They discovered things, but they didn't learn them. Yeah. Because they you can't know, even Shay, tell you. I teach five days a week. Subhanallah. Because it has nothing to do with me teaching. Yeah. It has everything to do with me keeping myself. Yeah. In that in that process of coming at four mm-hmm. o'clock and opening yep. my computer, opening that PDF, reading that sharh. No matter yep. how many times I've read it, yep. right? Reading that sharh. Uh, I remember talking to my sheikh and I finished like Umdat al-Salik. And I was Mashallah. like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, sheikh, where's my jaza? Subhanallah. And sheikh was like, uh, yeah, we're going to do it again. Subhanallah. That's I was how like, it is. No, no, no. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> sheikh is like, we're going to do, do it again. again. Yep. So at the end of the second one, I was like, yeah, Sheikh. <laughs> and he's like, no, we're going to do it a third time. Allahu Akbar. So he made me do Umdat Salik four times. Amazing. Right? That's at amazing. the end of it, he said, it's about tamakkun. That's the most important thing. If you, yep. you want to master this book, so you mm-hmm. never, ever have to read any sharh. You open it, yep. you understand it. Yep. Right? Subhan but... Without muraja'ah, your tamakkun is going to be gone. It's going to be very weak, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's very constant muraja'ah. Um, it's sad when somebody stops teaching fiqh or aqidah. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing when an imam and an alim continues to teach into his retirement phase, his shaykhuk, uh, not the shaykhuk, the shaybani phase, they shaybani call it. Phase, yeah. The shaybani phase of an imam when he is a beyond veteran now he's like a living legend yet still that's what i love sheikh abdurrahman al-shaghuri the story about him is that the government took over these industries right and they in the name of socialism and they said okay your pension is now going to come from the government he's like no this money's haram you stole you literally the socialization of an industry means you literally stole a man's company right and i'm not working with you anymore because you're thieves Wow. So he's, he resigned and he uh, refused the pension. So what did he do? He went and he signed up to be a aqidah teacher for youth. Allahu Akbar. And he taught, he woke up in the morning and goes to a school. Ajib. As a sheikh, a shiyukh of tasawwuf and of aqidah and of Ibn Ajib. Arabi in Damascus, honored scholar, all white beard, and he shows up to teach youth Sayyid Muhammad al-Alawi al-Maliki's father Alawi ibn Abbas al-Maliki mm. was offered many many times to become a professor in Umar Qura at the time it was like open to a sha'ira yeah. and he had ref- it was maybe it wasn't called Umar Qura at the time it was just whatever the college in Mecca and he's in, 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 yeah, in Mecca he said I prefer the youth and he continued till, the, till his death just teaching shabab the early mutun. He's like, because we want to set them on the right track. And that's a special skill in itself. And he would teach mutun to them. Yeah. Uh, so, may we ask Some Allah days, whenever we have time, mm. whenever we have time, I, I, I think it'll be really good for us to know how Ahsa is keeping the tradition alive because I yep. think their model of education mm. is something that we in America can really learn from because yep. they, they are producing around 600 to 700 lifelong students of knowledges every year unbelievable but it's like it takes them from grade five until they graduate al-jami'ah 
and Smart. it's the sole progression of two days a week. And, and, and you know, one day, if we ever have time, I'll explain the whole process to you because I think it's so much beneficial for Muslims to learn that it's not about, uh, it, it's about two days a week coming on a weekend, mm -hmm. but then doing that for four is it just making, signing up your kid at grade nine and let them come to a program for two days a week until grade 12 and see the difference. SubhanAllah. That's amazing. It's amazing. It'll change their perspective. It's that's how to do it. Everything, right? That's how to do it. It's not about sending them to Sunday school once a week yeah. for one hour and then halas, I check mark. I'm done. No, it's that's a big message. It's just babysitting at that point. Uh, one thing we didn't do is we didn't tell everybody where is Al Ahsa. First of all, is it Al Hasa or Al Ahsa? Because I see uh, both. Yeah, it's Hasa. It's actually, and I think it's Ahsa, yeah. right? But you know, the, 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 the locals, they call it Hasa. Hassan. Okay, Hassan. Uh, if you have, uh, let's say you're familiar with um, the geography of Arabia, Medina is here, Mecca is here, Al Hassa is actually a region. Yeah. With many cities in it. Entire region, okay. yeah. It branches from Bahrain, passes Qatar, in the, as if you're drawing a rectangle in the direction of Yemen. Yeah. And it goes deep into Rub al Khali, too. Yeah, yeah. Which is or, the or empty simple. desert. Yeah. The empty desert, yeah. And so if you're in Mecca and you go east, you'll hit the bottom third of this region. If you're in Medina and you go east, you hit the top. Yeah. So it's a, it's a rectangle that is on the eastern part of Arabia next to Riyadh. It's not too far from Riyadh. Three, hour, three, hour, three hours from Riyadh. Are they so many Sunnis there and Ash'aris there that it's, the government it, just gives up on them? Yeah, they're like... If I don't want to shut, yeah, I need okay. to do whatever. Like, you know, like, you know, the, the my first experience was like we prayed Jum'ah in, in a masjid mm -hmm. and Masjid Al-Jabri, which is a 600 year old masjid, something mm -hmm. phenomenal. By the way, the first Jum'ah that took place in the life of Rasulullah outside of Medina was in Hasa. Ajib. Right. There's a masjid there that they've actually cordoned off. And, you mm. know, they consider that masjid the very, you know, people go there for barakah because this is like Rasulullah allowed a sahabi to lead the Jum'ah over there. So oh. I remember, you know, somebody invited us for aqiqah and it was like a full on, like, I'm like, what's going on? They're reading Sanjuri and, and, and it, it was an experience. And I was like, I was like, you know, that, that was like my, my iffy stage where I was like, I was like, I don't know if this is like. This is bid'ah. It's like, like it's I'm like, I'm like, well, I'll, I think at the end of it, I'll get some good food. I'll sit around, and I'll just, you know, like it was a very yeah. early stage. So it was really fun, uh, but I think people need to, uh, you know, chill out a bit. <laughs> yeah, subhanallah. Uh, it's so if you're in Georgia, if you're in the Atlanta area, Masjid Hamza, it's right off of what is this Tildo Drive, um, Windward Parkway, actually. Windward Parkway. Yeah, Tidwell, Tidwell, Tidwell is the Tidwell, road. Tidwell, that's what Tidwell, I was reading. Yeah. Tidwell, Tidwell Road, okay, and there's um, the the main uh, area there is, uh, you're basically, maybe 30, 40 minutes outside of Atlanta itself. Atlanta itself, like from the airport, it takes you 45 minutes if there's no traffic. Okay, an good. Or if there's traffic. If you are someone who is in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or you're in Bahrain, or you're in Qatar, or you're in the Emirates, you can uh, take a quick drive. Uh, Bahrain, is there a bridge? Uh, so Bahrain to Damam is a bridge, and then you're going to Yeah, cross Bahrain the to Damam, Khubar, and you drive down Route down. 5, Highway 5, <clears throat> and into Al-Ahsa, or Qatar, straight into... Salwa. 
you'll mm-hmm. come from Salwa. You'll come from the Salwa road, Tariq Salwa. Oh, Tariq Salwa. Yeah, I could see it here. Tariq Salwa. Okay, you're going to go in and you go up northeast into the northern part of Al Hasa. And if you are in anywhere else, you can take uh, Highway 95, Highway 10 um, into yes. Al Hasa. Salwa okay. is a white seed band, is white seed, a white sand beach. Oh, nice. If you ever, and there's Beautiful. absolutely nobody there. There were many times where we're just like, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you want to also have fun. So we, you know, yeah. it's like our class is canceled. I was like, mm. oh, great. What do we do? Yeah. So we were just, me and my brother would just like drive down Selwa, park nice. our cars on the road, go in the seat. It would be the only one there in the sand. Subhanallah. Beach. Nobody is, and then just enjoy the weather and come back. I'm surprised because Qatar, every time I open YouTube, I see an ad for visit Qatar uh, and they're trying to make it a, a resort area now for, for Westerners to bring yeah. in, uh, you know, uh, this is on the other side, right? So this is on the Saudi side. Oh, it's on, so it was on the Saudi side. Nice. Yeah. 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 So was on the Saudi side. So anyhow, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. So that we, we didn't get to the masjid politics. <laughs> we didn't get to masjid politics. We also didn't get to the gin story. So uh, let's do that. In the next meeting, inshallah ta'ala. Definitely, uh, definitely, inshallah. Omar Allah will arrange you. it for us. We'll have inshallah. another meeting just for these masajid. Youth I think work. masjid politic one is really important. It is a very important one. It, uh, because I, I think we really need, uh, and I, I'll just preface this for people if they're, you know, to get excitement. I think, you know, you, you probably heard of this unmasked movement. Yeah. But yeah. I call it the remasked movement. Mm, yeah. Like, khalas, we know that they're unmasked. Like, yeah. how do we get them back? Yeah. Right. And there's this entire generation, which is your generation, my generation, you know, the ones that are, I don't know how old you are, but like in the four, like late 35s and 40s, um, you know, that mid 30s to mid 40s, that age mm-hmm. is completely checked. And, and many of them are practicing. You know them, I know them. Yep. They're like good practicing brothers and sisters. Yeah. They just don't want to step foot in the masjid. They've had a bad experience or a bad uncle. And 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 the, the boards, they also are at the stage where they need to realize that those bylaws are why you are tax-free. Mm. If you don't follow your bylaws, you're jeopardizing the entire Muslim community's asset. Yep. Yep. And, and it's not a minor thing. It's only a bylaw. Yeah. Well, uh, this one we don't follow. <laughs> like, mm. no, you don't have a choice. Yeah. That's the contract with the government. That, it you know, is. You, you know, we will let you self-regulate yep. as long as you regulate with that law. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, there's a lot of discussions to be had on that, inshallah. But again, uh, I always wanted to ask you this question. Shoot. The, this kufi of yours. Oh, subhanAllah. <laughs> have you ever, I don't know if you've ever discussed this. Like, I'll tell you what so happens. Unique, it's so unique. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, whenever I get to talk to him. Yeah. Because that's one thing I have recognized yeah. you for so long. I said, oh, the one with that hat? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the story behind this hat. Um Always, you always have those shukr kufis, and the kufis are in the whole Islamic world. But for the front, it used to always hurt my hair, right? Like having my hair yanked and pulled and pushed down, that front area used to always hurt. So I would either not wear it or I push it back, which looks sort of silly. So I said, you know what? Here's a solution. Let me find a hat maker and say, listen, make me a kufi where the top part is high. So it doesn't push down on the, my head. So, so I found a, a, I found a woman who did it, and she was a real professional who used to work for Coach, make Coach bags. Wow. So she said, all right, I'll do this on the side for you. I go, um, my wife and I, we went to this woman's apartment. She's a European woman. 
and she's got an amazing view of Manhattan. She lives on the Hoboken side, gorgeous view of Manhattan. And I'm like, okay, this is what the fashion world looks like, right? This, they live in these, these beautiful homes and stuff. It was an apartment actually, but a big one. So I told her what I wanted. She made the hat, but it was way too big on the sides now. Cause I said, make the top big. Now it's on the sides. Like, Oh, I, it, it, the whole plan messed up. And so, but that's when I realized, you know what? All I need to do is push the sides in. So oh, all wow. of this really just sort of came happened by accident. And then boom, so it sucked. And, and now she makes me a couple every few years and I'm still looking for a factory, believe it or not, as simple as this hat looks like. I can't find a factory to make one, right? I wish I can have a hundred made in Pakistan for life, right? Mm. So, and everyone out there who has a factory, who has anybody knows how to do this, is such I, a simple thing. So right? this is from Ukraine, handmade. Oh, my, my uh, ladies from Ukraine too. Yeah, I got this handmade because I always needed something at the back. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I hate the fact that sometimes I just want to have it loose. Sometimes yeah. I want to tighten it. Yeah. So I got the hat thing and I got this custom made from Ukraine. And, and, Smart. and I, yeah, and then it's like all 100% leather. Yeah. Handmade leather. Right. And I always wanted to ask him, like, you know, I'm going to ask, let me connect you to this lady. I think maybe she'll make you. Yeah, a, please do. I, yeah. I, I, I don't want my, um, uh, uh, sewer to get bored of it. I mean, she's been doing this for like 10 years. Every once in a while, she'll make me too. Right. <clears throat> and, um, she, I think she's just polite. That's why she keeps doing it. But I'm looking for somebody to just make me 10. Right. I'm so sure yeah, send, send me her information. Anyone out there in the world. Send me some factories, India, Pakistan. These guys, they make Jordans. They can't make this, right? <laughs> they make fake Jordans out there. They make Adidas <laughs> soccer balls. They can't make this. So, they can't. They probably can't. So In Egypt too, by the way, there are, you know, those uh, um, hat makers uh, that yeah. were used to make Sultan Abdul Hamid's hats. Mm, there are very few, very few of them left. Those but fez if hats. You have, if, yeah, yep. but if you have some connections, those are custom hats. So maybe mm. you, you might want to tap into that resource. Yeah. And they will they will do your maqas. They will do every single thing. Yep. Uh, I have somebody that is getting me one from there. Uh, mm -hmm. They took my measurements, so hopefully they can. Uh, but it's it's like in Qahira somewhere. The, the, we have a musalli who's actually doing that for me. Oh, um, nice. Nice. Yeah. So I'll try to see if I can also get you connected, inshallah. All right. Look forward to having a next connect. Yeah, next connection, and, inshallah. And if I'm in New Jersey, I'll definitely drop by. 100%. If any of you are out there in Atlanta, check out our man there, inshallah, uh, and our new companion, uh, uh, part of our program is we like to highlight the imams that are busy, active, yeah. so that the listeners that are from that area can can go and benefit. Definitely. And also, they should follow the Hamza, Hamza Islamic Center's YouTube channel. I think you guys can post a link or something. Very good. Uh, Every class that I teach is streamed professionally online. Oh, so, mashallah. Hamza so, Islamic you know, Center YouTube channel? Hamza, Hamza Islamic Center, yes. Okay, very good. Uh, we'll if you check look that up out. on YouTube. And then, you know, this way, you you know, we're teaching Shama'il in a very detailed sharh. So sometimes Allah we Akbar. take one hadith in four weeks. Allah right? Akbar. So, so we, we, don't, we don't skip. Like every word will spend sometimes 15, 20 minutes explaining Amazing. why, why Rasulullah or why the Sarawi said this word and not this word. Why Which sharh do you use? Uh, so I have three, four sharh that I'm currently using, but mm -hmm. uh, the one that I predominantly use, uh, read off of, I'll show you, I'll actually send it to you right now. Uh, I'll send it to Uthman, uh, mm. if you wish, uh, where is it? Um, oh, my, so nice. 
Really nice channel here. This is a really good channel, folks. That's all done by my son. Your son, son. mashallah. 13-year-old son. The new generation. Yeah, he's been, uh, I've been telling him, and you know, got to be someone before you can do something. Yep, yep. So that's what he's been doing. Uh, The sharh that we use is the sharh of, uh, uh, right here, PDF. I, I don't know if you have the sharh. Uh, What's it called? I'm just looking. One second. Uh, so we're doing Shamal al Muhammadiyah al Mawahib al Dunyawiyah. Al Mawahib. Al Dunya al Shamal al Muhammadiyah. It is by uh, Bajuri. Bajuri? I didn't know he had a sharh. Muhammad al Bajuri al Shafi'i. Okay, Mumtaz. Very good, very good. Right. I, I just sent it to Usman so you can get it from him. Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. Inshallah. Yeah. So anyhow, I think this is really good. Yeah. Uh, so those, those people that want to have, you know, you're teaching Shamal, but if they want to have a more elaborate mm-hmm. uh, discussion on it, so inshallah, they can, you know. Mumtaz, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank we'll, you so much, inshallah. We'll be in touch, inshallah, yeah, and we'll have you on again for that second discussion. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, attend all viewers and attendees. Jazakumullah khairan. We have to wrap up here because you know that I'm an assistant coach now for a soccer team. They got a game today. It's going to be game during the rain. All right. And not can't say that I'm like really a heavy contributor because I'm just learning the ropes and, and, and learning the, uh, the um, uh, you know, the, the, the ways that, you know, these techniques and all that stuff. So, uh but we got a game, so we're going to have to go to that game. Jazakumullah khairan, everyone. Tomorrow we'll do another Q&A session. And with that, I bid you farewell. See you tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladina amanu wa aminu salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum rahmatullah. Let's go.